You're listening to Consolidate That. Ukraine is my motherland. It is now under a savage attack by Russia. Ukraine is shielding Europe and the rest of the civilized world from Putin's barbaric aggression. Ukrainians are brave and effectively fighting back. Let's help. Make a donation to Armed Forces of Ukraine. Link is in the show notes. Hashtag Stand with Ukraine. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Ivan, it's great to see you. I'm finally getting some summertime weather here in Dallas. It's hot. And I know that you actually have been fishing a lot, but that's off topic. And I'm going to keep us on topic today. Well, why do you start with the off topic? And, and I just felt my- like it. I felt like so I've, you know, I'm in my new office. There's a lot of sun around me. I All right. feel connected to nature. But why don't you introduce our guest and we could talk about something interesting for people. All right. Very excited today. Our guest is Laura Durfee. Laura brings over 15 years of diverse HR-related experience. She's an accomplished people strategist and HR ops leader with extensive experience in the manufacturing, service, and hospitality industries. Laura is a consultant to C-suite for strategic planning, HR policy, M&A, corporate restructure, change management, organizational behavior, HR compliance, talent development, DEIB, employee relationship, and HR project management. The best part is that Alora is our head of people and culture in Galaxy, and she's a vice president. And Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You always talk about the whole human bottom-up approach to culture. So what do we mean when we're talking about the whole human? So the whole human approach to culture is a phrase I use to sort of help remind everyone that when you bring an employee into the organization, typically you're hiring them for their skill set, but that skill set lives inside the whole human. And in order to engage and retain the skill set, you have to engage the whole human, who they are, what they love, what they don't love, what they need, uh, how you can incent them, motivate them, demonstrate appreciation for them as their employer. So with our, with our problems in our industry, you're coming in, so veterinary is newer to you, and you're deployed next week to our practice. So that's interesting. With just sort of, a, let, let's call it still an outside view to our industry. We have challenges with talent retention. And in general, it's a, it's a high demand, low supply industry today. So what do you think is the opportunity in the veterinary industry? How can we retain and attract talent better? Yeah, I think it starts with some sort of conversation, discussion, or data collection touch point with the human. And I do think to some degree that can transcend industry. Um, You have to create a space and a mechanism for the human beings to communicate to you, whether they are your current employees or maybe someone you hope becomes an employee in the future. They need to have a mechanism by which they can share with you who they are, what they need, and how you may be able to meet those needs for them as their employer. That's really where it starts, is the beginning of a feedback cycle. So is that related to, I always talk about the intrinsic motivation. It was a part of sort of my little dipping toes in the positive psychology and the, and in general, what people are motivated by. Is that related to it? Because I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm good at this, but I'm a big proponent of understanding who people are 
not just I, you know, I can do 15 surgeries a day and see 20 patients. I graduated from this school and I did an internship in this university. But what does it do to sort of how do you what do you do outside of that? What interests you? What are your goals? So is it related to that? It, that's a great question. And the positive reinforcement element is heavily related to this. You know, I think the misstep for a lot of employers is an assumption that they know what positive reinforcement looks like from person to person. So there's typically a genuine desire to create a space for positive reinforcement with the employees. But where you can make a mistake is believing that that's going to look identical for everyone. And that really emphasizes the importance of a feedback loop for them to be able to say to you, here's how I need positive reinforcement. And for that capture to allow it to be different from maybe how their coworker needs positive reinforcement. So it's interesting when you say positive reinforcement, a lot of listeners, because they are veterinarians, they would think about the clicker training, which we use for the dogs. You give a treat, you click, and then you positively reinforce them. So uh, one great book that I read recently, and I keep quoting in every podcast episode I'm participating in, is the Daniel's Pink, The Drive. And they talk about, or he talks about the fact that our motivational strategy in post-industrial age, industrial worked really well on commission sort of base and paid more on productivity. And then he talks and shows a lot of evidence from this uh, science and, and research that intellectual workers are not motivated by this sort of compensation. The proper motivation of the intellectual worker is actually because they like doing what they're doing, and that is being the motivator on its own. So do you have an angle on that? And do you do you believe in that in our field? Because most veterinarians are intellectual workers. Well, all of them are. I do believe in that. And that echoes some more concentrated compensation studies that were conducted probably 10 or 12 years ago that sort of illustrated that when a person is compensated where they need to be for their standard of living, there are diminishing returns on increasing their pay. So if a person has what they need to live and, and be safe and healthy and happy, in order to retain them and engage them as your talent, you have to come up with more than just money. Money is no longer the motivator if they have the money they need to live. So I, I definitely agree with that. So for the talent retention piece of that, right, in the veterinary industry right now, there is a big hurdle of a lot of people that are just throwing more money as a way to try and keep veterinarians and technicians and everybody that's um, the professionals within the industry on board. What are some of the things and that you think need to come out of that besides throwing more money at people, things that they're actually tangible that can be scaled up or, or scaled down for a consolidator? So it has that answer has to come from the team. It has to come from the talent. Um, and this goes back to the original phrase Ivan introduced us with, and that's the element of bottom up. So we talk about collecting feedback and knowing that that feedback is going to re represent the whole human and not just the skill set that we hired them for. Once we have that feedback, that feedback has to trickle up. And so when you have these, whatever it is, a, a, an employee engagement survey, or maybe sort of, you know, one-on-one -on -one group setting conversations where people have a mechanism to share what they need, then from there, the feedback has to move up into supervisory roles, management roles, leadership roles, and it has to turn into an action item. 
one of the things I always say about this, when companies collect feedback, they tend to move in a majority rules direction. So if you do an employee engagement survey and 75% of the answers are congruent, and then you have 25% of the answers that deviate, most employers will only act on the 75%. In order to retain all the talent, the 25% has to have just as strong of a voice and they have to be equally prioritized. What specifically those things are, they're going to vary from person to person. Some people want to see an increase in certain types of benefits. Some people want to see maybe additional compensation for benefits that they're not using. Some people are motivated by unlimited vacation pay. Uh, some people are motivated by opportunities for growth. Some people like companies that might relocate them because they enjoy travel, but each person's voice has to carry equal weight. And in order to accurately answer what it is that employers need to be doing to retain talent, you have to ask the talent the employees themselves have to be the ones to tell you. When you're talking about this, it keeps reminding me one of the most unusual responses I ever had from a salesperson that worked for me when I asked them, what's your biggest motivator? What, what drives you? Usually on the sales side, it was usually money. Um, and he said, no, positive reinforcement. And I was like, so I can pay you less, but tell you that you're doing a great job. He was like, yeah. I said, all day long, you're infinitely hired anywhere. But how do you... How do you take that, you know, individualization and allow it to scale without becoming overly burdensome? You know, if if 75% of people are saying we want an extra three days of, of vacation because it brings us to a place where we're happy, how do you scale their needs? But then also the person that says, I don't use dental, so I want to be recompensated for the dental coverage. It's really, really hard. And as, as simplistic as I make this sound, there are situations where it can't be done. The backup for the employer is, again, sort of closing the feedback loop and going to those voices and saying, here's what we heard. Here's what we did internally to determine if this is feasible for the organization. Here's the decision at the time. And here's the reason why we can or why we can't. In terms of how the benefits default, I'll call it the benefits default, the total rewards default, which is a template that was born in Silicon Valley and has permeated and is now just a big game of copycat. In terms of how the benefits template will evolve over time, I actually do think we'll get to a point where your total reward system is set up as an exchange like that. And I've, I've spoken to people in the industry um, about the game kind of moving in that direction. I think for a person who needs extra vacation days, if it's feasible to offer that to everybody, then you, you can offer it to everybody. The ones that don't need it won't use it. So when it comes to what is scalable, you do want to look at how much is this accessible to everyone and what's the impact on the organization. And for things that aren't, for things that can't be done, the employee needs to know you were heard and we really evaluated what it is that you asked for. And if there's a time in the future that we can implement what it is you, you need from us, then we'll do it. And from there, the employee may not get the thing that they've asked for, but they know that they were heard by their employer. And if it's critical, both parties have to acknowledge that person may go. Uh, they may go to somebody that can offer them what it is that they need. So we've talked about how to motivate people and how to engage them better. But I think what's critical, and I think that that was one of the major reasons why you uh, we were so attracted to you joining our organization is because you're a very data-driven person. You have a very data-driven approach to employee management and culture. So 
what are those metrics? How do you measure the employee satisfaction? What's the best sort of temperature gauge, if you will, across the organization? How often do you need to run it? And can you guide the whole strategy of the organization using that? Because Ryan and I, we've seen that across the consolidators, they all talk about improving veterinary medicine and how the veterinarians are happy today. And then when you ask them, how do you measure that? And then when you go into their metrics, you see the PL as the best measurement of the employee satisfaction, which I don't think it is. Yeah. So how do you approach the metrics and what those are? Great question. So I think a comprehensive data capture that actually has a chance at driving comprehensive strategy is four pronged. Uh, you want to capture data at four specific intervals. The first interval is you want to capture data from people that you wish you could have hired, but that for whatever reason you didn't. So these are maybe people that you attempted to recruit in the organization and they said, nope, Galaxy's not for me. Or people who interviewed and then dropped out after the first interview. Um, whatever that body of talent is that you really wanted to bring into the organization and you couldn't, or they took another offer. Maybe you made them an offer and they, they went with a different with a different company. If we can deploy some data capture for those people and understand why weren't we chosen? Really, when somebody doesn't pick you, it's the act of being unchosen. And there's a reason. You want data from those people because you missed out on talent that you wanted. The other two prongs, the internal two prongs, are there's a couple of ways that you could do this, but you want to have a qualitative and a quantitative data capture for your internal employees. I look at this on the quantitative side, like a pretty traditional employee survey. My opinion is that an employee survey, best practice, you want to do it twice a year and you don't want to do it more frequently than that. And I don't recommend that the employee survey be more than 35 questions. You don't want to exhaust them with too much survey content. You don't want to exhaust them with a quarterly survey. Twice a year is just about the right amount. And that's your quantitative data. And that's where you can examine patterns and responses. You can examine majority and minority groups. You can see how things are evolving every six months or from year to year. Your qualitative data capture internally, for me, is in the form of what we call a stay interview. A stay interview is the proactive, preemptive engagement of a person in order to hopefully maximize the chances that you don't ever have to do an exit interview. So it's, why are you here? What has kept you here? Do you consider yourself at risk? If you are at risk, maybe what are some of the reasons that you're at risk? And understand from them while they're there, because if they're currently working for you and they're performing and you're getting the skill set that's encased in that human and you want to keep it, engage them and let them tell you what they love about the organization and maybe where they're not happy and where you could do better. The fourth prong of data capture is the unfortunate occasion when you do lose someone. And this is your more traditional exit interview. Why did you leave? What excites you about where you're going? What could we have done better? Was this outcome preventable? And stay interviews are what I recommend you relegate to regrettable losses. Sometimes when a person leaves an organization, it's good practice to get data from them to understand what drove them out. But your heaviest focus on an exit interview needs to be for somebody that you genuinely wish you could have retained, which you call a regrettable loss. That's what you want the exit interview to be geared around. Wow. I'm learning a lot. Uh, are we going to be implementing it all uh, in the organization? 
it, hopefully soon, because this is all the stuff that is really new. I really like the whole approach to, uh, you know, those that didn't choose you. I think that uh, that would probably help me in my younger years in uh, when I'm trying to meet someone and they didn't choose. I was make yeah, I was thinking about prom. <laughs> I could have been kept myself really busy with the not chosen interviews. That's you were, did you have a long list of interviewees for that then? It would have been a very extensive list of the not chosen and then the regrettably left uh, ones too. Awesome. Well, that's uh, that. That's really a, that's really a great approach to to all of these things. So, Laura, what uh, just to ask you about when you joined us? What was from the outside before you joined us on the inside? Was the most exciting thing, and and why did you think that there's a great opportunity to apply your talent and uh, build something great with us? Oh man. There are so many reasons that I knew Galaxy was where I was supposed to be. So some of my non-negotiable criteria when I was interviewing, there were two really important ones. One was startup and the other was fully remote. And this was not because I have startup experience and it's not because I won't relocate. Those are my delineators for whether the leadership team lives in 2022, is driven by data and understands reality. So if you started a company anytime between, I don't know, 18 months ago and four years ago, chances are you live in reality. You understand what the world looks like right now, what it takes to get talent, or at least you're willing to learn. If your organization's been around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you're not as agile. There have absolutely been decisions made that might be difficult to evolve that don't reflect the current reality. When I use the phrase current reality, that's not just post-pandemic. I think we were moving toward remote work even before COVID, right? So employers were challenged to evolve before COVID, and then they were just forced to evolve. Startups have a higher propensity for living in that evolutionary mindset, and employers who have accepted that remote work is the way of the future, that's another marker for adaptability for me. So those were my two non-negotiables. The other thing is all the things that I talk about one we haven't covered, which is the fictional concept of a values-based culture and how that is a top-down, non-effective approach. And it's really not the appreciation and emphasis of the whole human that you've got to have to engage and retain talent. I speak very openly about that with startups, with uh, companies that I interviewed with. And Galaxy was actually really interested in that approach. Most other companies are so tightly held to their values and they're so sure that they have the formula for top-down conditioning onto their team that someone who comes in with somewhat disruptive ideas like me is not a good move for your culture leader. But Galaxy looked at it and thought, okay, we'll roll the dice. And that tells me that they were open to evolution. They were open to using data to make decisions. They were genuinely interested. You can't fake that, right? You can't say that you're whole human bottom up, but then not deliver on it. That's absolutely not an option. And you can't hire someone like me and then not deliver on it. So I knew when Galaxy was interested and continue to move forward, that this was actually going to be a good spot for me. I'm a, I'm disruptive. I'm, I'm a risk. And um, for an organization that was willing to take that risk, that's a really good marker for me that this is going to be a fit because I, it, you know, you can't, again, you can't say you're going to be whole human bottom up as a tagline. If you're going to hire a cultural leader that believes it, you have to actually do it. And so I knew if Galaxy hired me, they were really going to do it. And it was going to be a culture that I would be proud of leading and that I would enjoy as an employee. That's awesome. Thank you. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a joy of participating in the interview, but that's, that's so awesome. And that definitely, you know, 
I've definitely been in the companies that said that the innovation is in our DNA, and then uh, you find out that that's not <laughs> the truth. So, so hopefully we stand up to what you were experience, uh, expecting, and hopefully you do bring the change that we're all uh, looking for. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure working with you so far, and I'm very excited to continue that. So we're up to uh, sort of our promise to the listeners. We're up to 20 and 22 minutes. And what would be the book recommendation to the listeners that uh, you would recommend to kind of dip into the world of Laura Durfee and uh, understand how did you uh, come up with all these concepts? So there's a book that I think is a good starting point. You know, I some of the concepts, to be frank, are born out of seeing what I think everyone's doing wrong. And I don't think that employee engagement and talent engagement is rocket science, right? Industry aside, people are people and they just want to be seen as people, whether they're working in the veterinary space or the manufacturing space or in healthcare. So, you know, I don't think that organizational leaders need to tell themselves that they can't succeed at talent engagement unless they read a book. You actually can. It's it's not that difficult. You just need to meet the human being where they are and give them permission to be who they are. But there is a book that I think is helpful in at least driving some of that dialogue. And it's called Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. This book transcends workplace dialogue. There are plenty of examples about hard conversations that can happen at work, subordinate to manager, manager to subordinate and cross team. There's also a lot of content in the book around conversations that may not be work-related, conversations in your personal relationships, parent to child, child to parent, sibling to sibling, and friend to friend. And I think it's really good, particularly for people who have a sensitive topic, who don't know where to start, who are, who are unsure what the feedback process should look like. Um, there are a couple of lines out of the book that I do want to highlight, and one of them is the notion that discussion is not decision. So having a conversation about something doesn't mean that a decision has been made about a particular outcome, and a decision is not action. So even if you've arrived at a decision, there may be something that you have to deploy afterwards. Um, so that's the general orders, discussion, decision, and action, and that should guide most conversations that we have, which are crucial. Are you getting commission on this book? Because that was amazing. <laughs> you she actually wrote be. it. She didn't tell us the author. <laughs> it's written by L. Durfee. Uh, there's several authors, Patterson, Grinney, McMillan, and Switzler. That's awesome. Excellent. Well, Laura, thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm more excited uh, to, to have you on the team. And then hopefully we can implement everything that you wanted to do. And uh, if uh, the listeners like what they're hearing from our people and culture leader, Laura Durfee, then uh, consider joining us at Galaxy and um, help us to build this new, new sort of era of visionary organizations. And there's actually one other thing that's um, perfect timing along with this, which is our upcoming webinar. Hmm. So we have an upcoming webinar uh, on June 14th called Measuring to Improve, a Data-Driven Approach to Employee Well-Being. So we'll have a registration link in the show notes for that. So it's a, a good way to look at the data side of things and, and really learn some more of what Laura is implementing here with Galaxy Vets and how you can scale it within your own practices too. Laura, thank you for joining us for this. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. 
Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.